Well, welcome everyone that's at Washington, Princeton, or Vincent's joining us online. I want to say welcome to all of you. Hey, we're prepping ourselves for this new series on how to really have a monster listen. It's all about money and stewardship and principles like that. It's a perfect opportunity to talk about it because it's the beginning of the year. And there's so many people that are coming out of Christmas and are cash strapped, especially with inflation that has hit. And you're wondering, how do I really take control of this thing that's been controlling me for far too long? Well, there's ways to do that. There's some good biblical God-honoring principles that we want to share with you. And uh, some of you got some bump of, of, of salary and you're wondering what to do with some extra cash and how to make all that work together. And I think it's best, and, and then just kind of my opinion, that we work off of a budget and really know and, and place our money in a position and a pathway so we know where it went rather than kind of, kind of wondering where it is. And uh, that's what this series is all about. I hope you can stick around for the next couple of weeks as we talk about this, uh, because money can really be a monster at times. It can be that thing that stresses us out and creates havoc within us, especially, especially when it's not trained, especially when we don't have mastery over it. But man, the moment that you get mastery over it, the moment that you finally put money in its place, that's a, a day of relief. That is a day of peace. That's a day of financial security, like maybe some of you have never known before. And I hope we can get there if you get serious about some time-honored, wise, biblical financial principles that you can put into place. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself a misbehaved dog. You ever have a misbehaved dog before? A dog that just acts up all the time, doesn't matter what you try to do, just gets and runs out and it goes reckless and jumps on people and nips at people and barks when you don't want it to bark. We had a dog when I was growing up named Buckwheat. And Buckwheat used to climb up on the counters and drag food down off the counters right before dinner. Buck, buckwheat would get on the sofa and tear up the pillows. Buckwheat uh, one time got a, a box of chiclet gum that we brought back from Tijuana, Mexico and ate all that gum. That was a rough couple of days for Buckwheat. <laughs> Maybe you got yourself a misbehaving dog. And what I think is funny is if you're an owner of a misbehaving dog, we all do the same thing. We, we ask the dog questions when we find you it that? that's created a mess. Show daddy what you did. Chewed up all the coasters. What did you guys do? <laughs> Rem? What did you do? Pepper, did you get in the donut? <laughs> Pepper? Not me, did he get in the donut? What did you do? You, you saw what the dog did. Did you get in the donuts? Yeah, he got in the donuts. I mean, just imagine just how we talk to our, our pets when they misbehave. We, we ask them questions like they're going to respond back, you know, like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to tell you what's up. And I feel like sometimes the way we, we talk to our pets is sometimes the way we talk to, to, talk to our money. Like, where does all the money go? Like, it's going to respond back. Like it, like, it has control, right? There's nothing better than an obedient dog. Anybody got a trained, obedient dog? You tell it to stay and it stays. You tell it to fetch and it fetches. You tell it to roll over, rolls over. It does, it does whatever you want it to do. But man, when your dog's misbehaving, that is an absolute nightmare. It's almost uncontrollable. And when your money is managed properly and you've trained yourself and disciplined yourself and budgeted yourself and put money in the right con context and perspective, it is an absolute joy and pleasure because you've trained yourself to manage money well. But when it is out of control, guess what? Everything sounds out of control, doesn't it? When money struggles come, it seems like life is over. And it has this way. There are two things in life that stress me out the most. You know what they are? My kids and money. And they're somehow tied together. 
You might've found that true in your own life. And it's not about training money, guys. Here's what this is really about. Cause that's not the monster. I gotta look in the mirror and realize I am the monster. I'm the one that hasn't trained myself, hasn't been disciplined. I don't have the right perspective on really handle money. And I'm telling all you guys this because the United States has a spending problem and I'm a part of it and so are you. And so you just need to come to this kind of philosophical statement in your life and just find out where you're at. Like, how do you view your resources? How do you view time, talent, treasure, et cetera, in your life? Do you say, it's my money and I can do what I want with it? Because there's that opinion and it exists. There's the other one that says, this is not my money, it's God's money and I'm just the manager of it. Where do you stand on this? Because the Bible says, it's not your money, you're right. And you are just a manager of it. And as a matter of fact, Jesus has taught us that any resource that we have in this world, in our own life, God owns it all. And so if you wanna look with me in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus has this parable, it's called the talent of the bags of gold. It used to be called, before there was another translation called the parable of the talents. And it's about God distributing wealth to people. That's what the story's about. But it's not really about the wealth, it's about how the servants who are entrusted with God's wealth manage the money and do they do it wisely. So we're just gonna look at the beginning part of that story, that parable in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Says, Jesus says, again, it will be like a man who goes on a journey and called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He did that because there were no banks. So he's entrusting his servants to make some kind of interest like he would in a good investment. Verse 15, to one, he gave five bags of gold. Friend, that's about $150,000. To another, he gave two bags of gold. That's about $60,000. And to another, he gave one bag of gold. That's about $30,000. Every single one of us would say that each one of them got a significant amount of money. Even the guy who got 30K, you would say, that's a good amount of money. And if that were given to me, I would probably put that to good use. And the owner leaves. And he expects those three servants to do something with what has been allotted to them. There's a healthy expectation by the master that says, I've entrusted this to your care. Now do something with it. Friends, that parable is all about how God has entrusted resources to us, both time and talent, but especially here in this parable, treasure. What are you doing with the treasure that God's put into your possession? What are you doing with it? And what's your perspective of it? Well, the healthy perspective is this is God's. I'm just been entrusted with it and I'm a servant. I'm a manager of it. We call this stewardship in Christian circles. Stewardship is the principle that God owns and we are just here to manage it. God owns it and we are here to manage it. And Jesus teaches us this attitude that I'm not the owner, but I am what? I am the, I, I'm God's manager of this stuff. I'm not the owner of it. I'm just gonna manage this stuff. And you might think, wait a minute here. I got the education. I put in the time, I have the job, I work hard for it, it's my money. Let me just kind of pull back and then maybe that's your place today, but let me just throw this out for you because here's what God says and you're in an argument with God now. God says, and Haggai, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Like he's playing risk and just like, it's all mine. <laughs> I just kind of own it all, which kind of makes sense, right? Because when you created it, you own it. Did you create it? <laughs> like, let me just come in. Like, did you create the gold? Did you create the coal? Hey, farmer, did you, did you do that miracle process when a seed goes in the ground and called germination and it comes out something? Did, did you do that? No. So God says, yeah, I did that. And I'm allowing you to have the resources and the benefits and the blessings of all this. And 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, the apostle Paul really puts a, a magnifying scope on those believers that were like, no, it's mine. He, Paul says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? Like, just take inventory for a second. Like, you're living right now on borrowed air with borrowed lungs. Like, at bare minimum, borrowed air, borrowed lungs. You didn't create the air. You didn't create your lungs. God, God did that for you. Bare minimum, what, what do you have that God hasn't given you? Another part in Deuteronomy, God just kind of points it out. Hey, the Lord owns the world and everything in it. The heavens and the highest heavens are his. Like all the cosmos, everything. This is mine. And so if you want to know God's perspective, God's perspective is I've created this. It's all mine. And now I'm giving it over to you to manage. Now that's completely different, isn't it? Then it's my money and I can do what I want with it. When you have the attitude that's biblical that says this is God's and I'm to now be a good, healthy steward or manager of it, that should change the way in which you have financial dealings in this world. And just so you are aware, God has so much to say about our finances because they're not ours, they're his. And he has some financial plans for his money. And just as those servants were entrusted with bags of gold, you've been entrusted with all kinds of resources that God has put into your care. And he has a plan for it. God has a financial plan. His financial plans to help you train that monster we call money is number one, he has appointed you to be his CFO. He has appointed you to be his chief financial officer. And guess what? I'm a terrible chief financial officer. I'm like the worst person to put in charge of your finances. And you might be saying, you know what? I'm kind of that way too. Because to be in charge as the chief financial officer, you have to be looking for not your own interests, but the interests of the organization. And there's two things that need to be happening as the chief financial officer. You have to have responsibility that this has been put on your shoulders. There's a weight here. And number two, you recognize you have authority and that should scare you because you can write whatever check you want to write as long as it doesn't bounce in the bank. So let's talk about the side of responsibility as the chief financial officer for a minute. How are you using God's resources? How are you using his resources? Do you know where his resources went last year? Or do you wonder? Dave Ramsey says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where, you, where it went. A lot of us wonder just where it went. Hey, can I just kind of speak my little bully pulpit for a moment? Personally, a budget is important. Did you know that 90 plus percent of millionaires have budgets? Did you know that those at the impoverished level in the United States, less than 10% work on a budget? So there's two attitudes I know that exist within this room and those that are, are listening in on the podcast. And that is, one is a budget's laughable. Come on, I'm not gonna let something dictate to me where the money should go. Another one is we are so strict about this budget that we wanna be wise and faithful managers of it. Friends, if God has pointed you as chief financial officer of his resources, don't you want to be responsible with it the best way you can? And I think it's the best time to do it because a lot of us, a lot of us in our position right now this year where we're either feeling the crunch of the finances or maybe we've been blessed with a little more through a company bonus or raise and we're wondering now how to best position those resources. And in that story in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the bags of gold, the master's generosity was there to reward those that were smart and responsible with the money. Some of you know that parable that the guy with 150,000 and the guy with the 60,000, they made a great investment for the master when he came back and said, here's more money than you gave to us. But the guy with the 30,000 just said, I didn't do anything with it, meaning I wasn't responsible with it. And the owner takes the money from that guy and hands it to the guy's 
who were responsible with it. And what that tells me is that God wants us all to be responsible with the resources that he's provided for us. And another parable that kind of matches what's called the parable of the talents or the parable of the gold bags, uh, Luke tells this story of Jesus. Jesus ends that same parable by saying, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with a lot. You may have never known that principle of God, that the way you spend $5 is gonna determine the way you spend $50,000. And so the way that you treat the five is probably the way you'll treat the 50. And God says, if you're gonna be trusted with that five, then I can probably trust you with the 50. Whoever can be trusted with a little can be trusted with a lot. But maybe your life has worked like my life has. And, and uh, we go to a lot of junior high and high school sporting events. My boys are in sports and we go to all their games and we have two little ones that are with us as well. And so we have, we have five boys. And so when we go to a game, uh, they all want snacks. And uh, that's fine with us, concessions and helps to support the team. No big deal. But what happens oftentimes is we come in with like a bill no longer than, the, than like a $20 bill. And so we give them a $20 bill and we say, hey, listen, caveat, come back with some, some change. What do you think that means? Change. It's what it means. I mean, like, you know, I don't know. Like when they come back sometimes, it's like I gave you a 20. What did you do with this? They give you like a dollar with a couple dimes and some lint. You know, you're like. I don't know what I'm, what did you spend? Like, like we're just, we were just like blowing cash at the concession stand. You want some Skittles? You want some Mountain Dew? Oh, hey, daddy's buying whatever you want, man, right now, right? And I don't know, like, and then they come back and you're like, well, I, I was expecting uh, more than that. Like I told you, don't blow at all. Like be, have some accountability. It makes me wonder if God pictures our life in this way, that we just kind of blow through the money and then God says, hey, can I have a little of my money back? We're like, uh, yeah. And it's like a dollar a couple times in some Lent. And he's like, it's not really what, not really what I had in mind here. Like you, you just kind of blew it on all that. And I want you to think about this just in this context. If you're constantly breaking the bank, if you're constantly living paycheck to paycheck, if, if you're constantly living outside of your means of your budget and, and, and have to live off of your credit card, is that God honoring? Is that using his resources the best way possible? Or is that like going to the concession stand and say, I'm just going to blow it all. And then if he wants something back, I, I might have something left over. Maybe, maybe if we're lucky, I might have something left over. Here's God's plan. God's plan is that you're in charge of this stuff. So be responsible. But the second part of that is he wants you to honor him with it. So there's only two parts to God's financial plan. It's super simple. First is you're in charge. You have the responsibility. That's, that's awesome. The second part is, though, he wants to be honored in it. And when you're honoring him, the best way you can do that is to start with him at the beginning of your budget rather than at the tail end of your budget so that he gets the front end rather than the leftovers. Does this make sense to some of you? The Bible calls this a first roots offering, but I recognize in the scriptures that each of us should be given an offering. The scriptures say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that each believer should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And there's many times I know that we walk in this room as believers and we're like, I don't, I don't have anything to give as an offering because I've spent it at the concessions, so to speak. And now the Bible's confronting me with this tithe, which is 10% of something, or maybe something that God's laid on my heart and man, that's not something that I can really, really do. 
Can I tell you, there's been times in my life, early on in my life, when, when finances were tight and we didn't really have sound principles biblical in place, where God would lay it on my heart to do something generous for maybe a neighbor or someone in the congregation, or maybe like a big give moment happened at the church and we wanted to give above and beyond something and we just didn't have the money to do it because we blew it. Because we just, we, we just mismanaged it. And there's been times where the funds weren't there, but I wanted them to be there. And there's been times where the funds weren't there, but the faith was too. And times where I just said, you know what? God's gonna get this regardless if I have it or not. And there's times in the life of the Israelites. Those are the ones that were chosen by God. God honored these people. He called them his children in the Old Testament. A particular story in the book of Malachi. Malachi, just, just, just turn with me. Malachi chapter, uh, uh, Malachi chapter uh, three, it's page 779 in the Bible in the chair rack in front of you or on a table at one of our campuses. Uh, they've, they've just come off this momentous moment where they're really close to God. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, their, their home city. And um, they've just been ravaged by raiders. And, and they're like feeling pumped up and so close to God. But you got to know the story of the Israelites. One minute they're close to God, one minute they're not. One minute they're close to God, one minute they're not. And then like 12 years after they rebuilt all this stuff for God and glorified God and honored God, they now turn their back on God and they totally give up on God. They totally deny who he is. And God's just like, come on, man. Can we just, can we just get your, like, pri can I just be a priority in your life consistently? And so they're like, okay, you want to be a priority in our life? Tell us how we can prioritize you in our life. So the context of what I'm about to teach you is about the people of God asking God, how can we put you as the center of our life? Are you catching this? The context is, God, how can we put you at the center and keep you at the center? Crazy how God responds. Malachi chapter three, verse six. Return to me, I'll return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? How can we prioritize you? Will a mere mortal rob God, he says? This is God speaking. Yet you rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole generation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Like, don't hold back. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it to store Verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines and your fields will not drop their fruit before it ripes, before it's ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. How do you return to God? That's the question of the people. And God says, you start honoring me in your financial dealings. Doesn't that sound wild? Like that's not, that's not what I would have expected of God. I would have thought, repent, confess, return, no, God says, listen, I recognize that money has pulled you all over this world. And when money pulls you, it also pulls your heart along with it. And you've been banking in the wrong economy. Why don't you start banking in heaven? And you'll start caring about the things of heaven. Isn't that true? Just look at your bank statement. Just, you're like, bank statement? What's that? Okay, look at your credit card statement. Where's that money going? Do, do, a little, do a little test this week. Is the majority of money going out to things that are not kingdom causes? You know what I'd bet to say? Yeah, they are. 
Okay, then where is God being established and honored in your life? Look for that line in the budget and see if it exists. Because God says, listen, I've given you the opportunity to be the CFO here. You have the responsibility, but you also have the authority. I would love for you to honor me in your financial dealings and presenting an offering or a tithe or something so that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a teaching of Jesus. It's not the opposite way around. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to land. And let me give you some benefits behind living out God's financial plan of making God the, the number one slot in the budget. He gets it first. Number one, it says, he helps keep your whole life centered. When you do this, when you live up to God's financial plan, it helps keep your whole life centered. You're saying, God, you have the first of me, but you also have the first of my finances. Can I tell you how important this is? It's called first fruits giving. Proverbs chapter three introduces it to us. It says it like this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, with the first fruits, not the leftovers of your crops. Then the barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. First fruits giving. You know what that does? It says that I'm not going to let my immaturity of spending, I'm not going to let this monster of money uh, steal God's offering. I, I'm, just, I'm not going to let my, my impulses steal God's offering. I would rather give to God than give to my government. Friend, I would rather give to God and make him first before my mortgage. I would rather put God at the top of the list and prioritize him before I prioritize my retirement. How about you? Because if it's really a matter of the heart, who's got my heart? Does the bank? Does the government? Or does God? And see, God understands this, that there's a tying that happens there. And, you know, he comes right out to the people in Malachi's day and says, listen, a lot of you are under a curse because you haven't been living this way. And, and it's not like a spiritual curse. The curse is, for many of us, we're just, we just don't know how to save and we don't know how to spend properly, and we don't, know how to, we don't know how to give when opportunities of generosity arise. Some of us are under curse because many of us are slave to the lender. Any slave to the lenders in here? Don't raise your hand. Many of us are under a curse because we're stretched in our finance. Anybody stretched in their finances here? Don't raise your hand. Many of us are cursed in financial dealings. You know that feeling you get when, when things don't go your way financially or you've broken the bank? That is a terrible feeling to have. How about... Have a little faith and start honoring God and putting him at the first. And I know where you're at because I've been here too. Some of you are like, this is crazy. I can't afford that. I can't afford it. I'm already living beyond my means. And now to say, to give some kind of offering to the Lord, I can't afford that. You know, in 2005, my wife announced very excitedly, we're pregnant. And my first thought was, that's awesome, but we can't afford this. He's now 16 years old, and guess what? He hasn't been repossessed yet. <laughs> 2007, we're pregnant. She's excited. We're excited. Twins, we can't afford this. <laughs> you know what? And they came, they came with a hefty tag of money because, I mean, they had all sorts of health issues at the beginning and, you know, just tens of thousands of dollars uh, that were unexpected medical bills. And I'll tell you, can I tell you something? I'll, this is honestly... If my life wasn't set up with a godly principle of honoring him first, my first instinct would have been, let's stop giving to the Lord. Let's start giving to the hospital and paying off these bills because I can't handle the stress. And then when we get that finally in order, we'll give back to the Lord. 
That's what I would have done if, if God was just getting my leftovers. But because my wife is smarter than me and put God at the front of the budget, that automatically our money was going to the Lord. We were living on less already. We were already living in a means that was supportive of, of 90% of our salary rather than 100%. And it made sense to continue to give. We weren't already missing it. And then set up the hospital bills as second. And God was still being honored. That's what I'm talking about. Not giving God your leftovers. Can I tell you there's some awesome benefits when you do that? Here, here's benefit number one. You, you are welcoming God to bless your life. You're just welcome. Here's what he says to the guys in Malachi's day. I will throw up the floodgates of heaven. I don't know what that means, but that sounds pretty good. I'm just, I'll just rip open the floodgates of heaven. I don't know what that looks like for you. Just like I don't know what the curse is. I don't know what the blessing is. I know this. Like we're not in any way. There's no, please take it out of your head like prosperity theology. And you're like, well, what's that? That means like if you put a dollar on the plate, God's going to give you two. It's not going to work that way. It's just not going to work that way. I had a, a, a guy who was here first service. I just got to tell you this. He comes in and he says, you know, Matt, the times when I gave an offering and, and he is consistent on the offering, but when he was younger and it was inconsistent, he said, I recognize, this is a bank president. He said, I recognize that my bank account was larger when I was inconsistent, but my financial security was lower. I thought that was interesting. My bank account was higher, but my financial security was lower. Meaning I recognized that when I was inconsistent, that there were things happening in my life that were bringing insecurities to my finances. But when I started to really honor God, I started to get the security in financial dealings again. And maybe that's for you. Maybe God just brings a second income to you. Maybe this is what I pray for all the time with my vehicles. God, just another 100,000 miles, just another 100,000 miles, right? No, I'm not asking for much here, right? Maybe, maybe Toyota can get me there. Maybe just like no health emergencies. Maybe it's just, man, who, contentment. Could you, what if you were just blessed with some contentment? I'm cool. Like we're good. I don't have any wants right now. This is good. This is a good place to be. Peace of mind, opportunities. I don't know how God blesses you, but I know he says, I will bless you when you start honoring me and getting your financial dealings in order. Here's the second part of the benefits of living out God's financial plan. It helps to guard your life against greed. Guard your life against greed. Because God, and this is so contrary to the world, but God's saying you need to, you need to learn to live on less. You need to learn to live on less. You're gonna to have to control this monster. The monster's you. Because money, guess what? When you tell money to stay, guess what? It does. It stays. But when you tell money to spend, guess what it does? It spends. The monster's us. So how do you guard yourself from like kind of the, the more mindset? Because here's what greed does. Greed, greed really takes our heart and quickly has it overrun for things rather than than for the things of God. And we got to get out of this, this more mindset. This, like I need more, I got to have more that will complete me and make me happy. Like if I pursue this and get this, I'll finally feel complete. And then you, you get it and what happens? Well, if I could just get this other thing, I'll feel complete and I'll need it. Listen, we live in an epidemic called the Ur epidemic. You know, the Ur epidemic. And maybe you live here. This is just really defines greed. Uh, God, why can't you make me prettier, healthier, smarter, richer, skinnier, happier, whatever the er is, but I just want to have bigger and better than all others. This is all, that's all I want. And guess what? There's no contentment found in that. You just always want more. And greed robs us of happiness. And greed really, really pulls our heart to things, temporary things, rather than guarding it so that God can be the establishment of our heart. 
And, uh, you know, I think there's just times when we just need to say no to some of our impulses. But you know how hard that, it's hard, isn't it, to say no to the impulses when it comes to financial dealings. Hey, if we just said no, all of us in this room would hit our, our financial wants. Like we would, you know, have investments and we'd have savings and we might have that dream car or dream house. If we were just able to say no. And it's so difficult to say no. Like, I know this, I know this. Like my wife does not like it when I go to the store because she knows I can't say no. And she'll give me a list of things, like just needed necessities, like, you know, deodorant, hair products, whatever. And I'll come back with everything but that. Like, here's my 90th coffee mug that I thought I had to have. And here's a candy bar for everyone in the house. And here's a nose trimmer. Now, we, we both agreed that the nose trimmer was a need, by the way, though. Just, I'm just at that age now, you know? I'm like, hair's just coming out of places I never thought I should come out of. And maybe you've seen people like this at the store. Like, they're, 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 their carts are piled high, right? You've seen this. You're like, whoa, that is too close to home. I am that. I am that. Like the impulse level is so sky high. They just, they can't say, they can't say no. And what happens when we can't say no is we don't blame ourselves. We don't blame our impulses. You know what we say? If I just made more money, we kind of blame our, our boss. We kind of blame our salary. Sometimes we even blame our spouse. Been there? That is a miserable marriage when there's financial stress and you're just blaming one another for the financial insecurity because of our reckless spending and we've allowed this monster to ruin our marriages. And yet here God sits and he says, you honor me and I will honor you. You bless me and I will bless you. I've made you chief financial officer. I want you to honor me. There's some benefits. I'll bless your life. I'll guard your life against greed. And God says, at the beginning of the week, as believers, you come in and you honor me. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. He's not asking us to do something extravagant. He's not asking you to go beyond your income in keeping with your income. And so some of you are like, I don't know if I can pull this off. It seems impossible for me. Maybe you just consistently today say, God, I want to do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm tired of giving my leftovers to you. I want to honor you today. And it's not about 10% of my income. But maybe from here on out, and I'm, I'm, this, is, this is in all seriousness, not as a joke. I'm gonna start by giving you a dollar every single week. And I say this with the most broken heart. That might be the first time in your life that you'd ever given a consistent offering. And I say that to you because it's not about the amount. It's about preparing the heart. And friends, some of you here today, you're immature about this. And you're looking at me and say, big churches always talk about money. That's immature of you. We talk about money because it represents our heart. And we are in such a good financial place as a church. It's not that we need the money. It's not about putting money in the plate. Friends, this is about putting money in its place. And if you don't understand that as a believer yet, then you don't understand how money can draw you further away from God. And I want your heart to be centered on Jesus Christ. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Some of you might know the name 
Dr. David Livingston. Dr. David Livingston, uh, more than a century ago, was one of the first modern missionaries to the continent of Africa. He was raised in Great Britain, and uh, I didn't know this until just like yesterday. Dr. David Livingston was like a rock star in Great Britain as a missionary. He was an honored hero. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I wish we would do that more often. He's a missionary, rock star of our nation. He spent decades in Africa ministering and serving the Lord and serving the people there. And tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in the continent of Africa came to faith because of David Livingston's ministry there. And older in life, he contracted a disease that overwhelmed his body. And he died because of that disease. When his family in England found out that he had died, they requested his body to be returned so he could be buried in the family burial plots. But before the African continent, before those that were with him, shipped his body to his family. They reached deep into his body cavity and yanked out his heart. And they buried it in the African soil. And they appendaged a note to his body that said, Dr. David Livingston's body belongs in England, but his heart belongs to Africa. If you were to die and something like that were to happen, where would they bury your heart? Would it be at the ball field? Would it be below a basketball court? On the golf course? Be at the campsite? At the lake house? In the boat? In the glove compartment of your car? In the front yard of your home? Where's your heart? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not about putting money in the place, it's about putting money in its place. And what God is most interested in is where's your heart? And he doesn't want anything else. He doesn't want anything else getting in the way of you and him. He certainly doesn't want his resources that he's blessed you with to be the thing that keeps you from him. Does that make any sense? He wants to bless your life with it. And some of us are allowing his blessing to stop us from loving and living for him. Friend, how about today? You just surrender it all. You give your heart, soul, life, and your strength over to God, everything that you are. When you're baptized, even your wallet was baptized. And you say, God, all that I am, all that I have is yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Will you pray with me? God, as we draw to a conclusion here, I pray that people will understand just the importance of getting this right. I know there's so much stress in this room and there's so much, uh, there's so much uh, havoc that has, been, that has been caused because of money and financial dealings. And I just want people to know that that, could, that can all be behind them. Like they could have peace today knowing that it's your resources and that when we honor you, regardless of whatever mess we're in right now, that we're honoring you first. And Father, then we can start to work out of this mess. Father, help us to train ourselves. Train ourselves to honor you and to trust you and to be faithful with what you have entrusted to us. And Father, today, work within our heart, work within our mind, give us wisdom. May we not walk out of here just like overwhelmed. May we walk out of here assured that you're in charge and we can be in charge and have mastery over this monster called money.
We thank you for it. We thank you for all the blessings in our life. And I pray that they bring us closer to you rather than push us further away. And I pray these things in Christ Jesus. Amen.